So, Father, we thank you that we can be still in this moment and know that you are God. Whatever burden or worry we've taken into this space, to be still is to know you've got it. You've got it. Help us now, with hearts now that have been still, receive from you, ready to hear from you. We love you and thank you that it's a reminder that we don't need to do anything for you to love us other than place ourselves at your feet and in your hands. To say we need you, we trust you, we turn to you. Receive this as an act of worship as we have stilled our hearts and minds. Continue to meet with us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. That might have been the first two minutes of stillness you've taken all week. And I hope that it's something that you take as a practice going from this place. Because it's good for us. We live being pressed So much stuff vying for our attention. So many things that we think we need to give ourselves to or prioritize or do or say or be doing or thinking about. It's important for us to be still. So we're doing this series, Lent. And this is a practice that for generations have gone on in the church, largely through the Catholic Church. But we recognize this is not an exclusively Catholic thing because in the scriptures we get indicators of the 40-day dynamic, right? And we'll see this even in the text we look at this morning. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. What does that mean to follow Jesus? There are lots of people that say they believe in Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? There's a difference between I say I know about Jesus and a desire to live like Jesus. And so this 40 days together is an invitation for us to take some practices into place, put them into place and say, these are some things that can help me look more like Jesus to live more like Jesus, to trust more in Jesus, to look more like Jesus, to sound more like Jesus. And so we're going in this series together about what it means for us to move from death to life. This is the invitation as we move towards Easter. This is what it means for us to move from death to life. And last week, Pastor Gus opened the series with understanding this idea of sacrifice. And particularly when you think about this idea of sacrifice, we recognize we're not just saying no for no sake. This is not just about saying no to things to say we did it, right? I'm not just saying no to chess. I'm not just saying no to sugar. I'm not just saying no to whatever because I just can say I did it. 40 days, right? I did it, right? Another thing I did. It's about saying no to one thing to say yes to a better thing. That's what we're really thinking about. In the midst of us going without something or consider giving something else up, what, it's, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is what is that thing getting in the way of in helping us embrace a better thing? And that's what we need to address as we think about this series. But here's the reality. We give something up. I was sharing last night on the Facebook Live. I was like, I haven't really given anything up yet. I'm not sure what I'm going to give up. I've been praying about it, thinking about it. I'm like, I think I'll give up sugar. I have a sweet tooth. And right, so um, Shelly didn't help me this morning by providing me some wisdom of her great banana pudding. So I may need to sit, keep that away for later. Keep that away for later. But I was thinking about it as I was taking a bite of chocolate. So there lies the, the struggle, right? It was dark chocolate, a little better, a little better, but not much, right? So we recognize when we say no to something that the temptations are going to ensue, right? Satan does not want us to pursue godliness. Satan does not want us to look more like Jesus. We have an enemy to our soul. I don't know if you know this, but we're in a battle. We're in a battle. The Christian life is not roses and, you know, easy street. 
It's an invitation to get into battle because there's an enemy to our soul that does not want us to find joy and satisfaction in Jesus. That is a fact. And so we recognize that we need to be aware of the temptations. The sermon title today is Hand Off the Trigger, Hand on the Sword. Because if we're honest, we have our hand on the trigger a lot of times, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different spaces. The hand is on the trigger. That trigger finger is very itchy. It's ready to start shooting. And what I mean by this is, consider this moment. You're in an argument with someone, right? The escalation, start, things start to escalate, words are exchanged, and you know if I say that one word, if I say that one word, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? And in our home, those, there's two words, right? There's two words. If you're in that argument and that you can feel the temperature rising a little bit in the house, and someone says, calm down, you know it's on. You know it's on. If, if someone in the, midst of the, in the midst of a heated conversation says, relax, you know anything but relax is going to be the response in that moment. You're telling me to relax? Oh, really? You're telling me to? And you know it's on. You know it's on, right? I'll take questions at the end. I'll take, I'll take questions. That's all right. I'll take questions at the end. Hold it, and we'll, do, we'll take questions at the end. All right? So be reminded, right? So those moments that happen, and maybe it's not the argument, maybe it's a situation at work, or maybe it's a situation on the internet, or maybe you know those moments, and the trigger finger is itchy. The temptation is there. And here's the reality. The situations we face in life, we often reach for the wrong tool and wind up making things worse. We reach for the wrong tool and end up making things worse. And why that is, is because we have an enemy for our, to our soul that's saying, settle for the lesser weapon. And really what he's saying is, settle for the destructive weapon. Because he doesn't want you to find peace. He doesn't want you to find happiness. He doesn't want you to find hope and joy in Jesus. He wants to take you down and have others go down too. And so in this Lent series, as we're saying no to certain things so that we can pursue a relationship with Jesus, we have an enemy to our soul that's telling us, pick up the trigger. When you face the temptations, guns ablazing, Guns ablazing. And so what I want us to do is to consider the example of Jesus. And so another practice we do is we look to the scriptures and we stand together as we consider what God wants to say to us. So I invite you to stand as we look at our text for this morning, which is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It says this from the NIV. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will be lift you up. In their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And so this morning, again, the sermon title is Hand Off the Trigger, Hand on the Sword. We need to be aware of the triggers in our lives. What are the trigger moments in our lives that are tempting us to take a devastating turn, to short-circuit the plan of God, to take matters into our own hands, and to devastate a situation rather than bring God into it? Where are the trigger moments? What is Satan trying to tempt us with in these moments, specifically as we're pursuing a relationship with God? The first temptation, the trigger that is presented to Jesus, that is often presented to us, is the trigger of immediacy. The trigger of immediacy. Or if you want to think it more practically, impatience. Impatience. Verse 3. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. You see, we need to understand what's happening. Again, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's very hungry. And so Satan is offering him some opportunity to satisfy his hunger in that moment. But Jesus knows that he's here for a bigger agenda than just his own hunger. Than just his own immediate satisfaction. Jesus knew this wasn't the moment, it wasn't the time. He had a bigger, fuller promise than just his own relief. Now understand for a moment, we're going to close with this. Let's not dismiss Jesus was really hungry. Jesus was a man like us, a human like us. Forty days and forty nights without eating. He was hungry. And so the temptation was really there to take this stone and turn it into bread to satisfy his immediate need. But there's the trigger. To settle for making myself happy, to settle for making things easy, to settle for the easy way out in the moments. There's the trigger. I want the easy way out. I want the immediate result. We ask ourselves, I just want this to go easy right now. I want this to be over. I want this situation to go away. I don't want to deal with this conversation. Remember again, it's like that magic bullet in the conversation says, if I know I can say this word, I will shut them down. I will shut them down. I just don't want this to keep going. I don't want to have to keep talking about this. So I just say the magic word and you get shut down. I want it to go away. Why does this have to be so hard? Why do I have to keep struggling with this? Why can't there be an easy way out? Why can't there be something that just magically makes this go away? When things get hard, when I get frustrated, I want to choose the easy way out. But the real struggle in this moment is thinking that I know better than God. It's that my timing, my ideas, my purposes, my plans, my needs are more important than God's. Jesus knew the plan of God. Jesus knew the timing of God. Jesus knew the priorities of God. We think we know better than God. And so the trigger is to say, I want out. I know better. I want it fixed yesterday. I want easy results. I want quick fixes. The trigger of immediacy. 
so many of us face in the moment, we settle for the easy way out and make things worse. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I was starting to, we, my wife and I had bought a new bed frame from Ikea, and so the minute I say Ikea, some of you already know where this is going. So I bring home the boxes from Ikea, I set out all the, the, the stuff, right? You know, all these little pieces, like where are all these pieces gonna go? How is this all gonna get put together? So this is our bed frame, and I start putting it together at seven o'clock at night. There's the first strike. Putting together a bed at seven o'clock at night. Not, not probably not the best idea about when to start putting together a bed that you're gonna wanna sleep in that night. So I start putting together things and I start looking through all the details. I'm like, I get to about page two. I'm like, I got this. I, I can figure this out. I know how this works. So I just put, put aside the instruction manual and I keep putting it together. And I get to the end and there's just this like, I, 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 it looks, initially it looks fine. And I look and there's all these extra pieces on the corner. And I said, well, where are all these extra pieces go? Where all, it's, I, I, it looks fine to me, or at least initially, it looks fine to me. Why are all these, all these extra pieces? And then I start to take a closer look. And I realize I had put the entire bed frame together upside down. And so it wasn't just a matter, and so what that means is that the mattress won't sit on the frame. Like it literally will not work. And so what this means is, it's not a few pieces that I need to take apart. It's I need to undo the whole thing and start again. This is what happens. I short circuit the plan and I make a mess. I don't go to the owner's manual in my life and I make a mess. I want the immediate result. I know how God works. I know how this should go. I know what this should sound like. I know how this should work. And so I short circuit the plan and I make a mess. The trigger of immediacy. It's like one word that I think I can get to, like I said, to shut people up. It's like fast tracking my recovery. Do I skip steps? Do I skip steps? Right? Do I have to recognize that I need to go in those steps in order for a reason? For a reason. Right? We need to recognize that when the immediacy, the trigger of immediacy is thinking, I can short circuit the plane because I know best. I know how this works. I know where I'm going. I know how I can figure this out. And God says, no, no. Are you going to my owner's manual? Are you letting my words drive you in that conversation, drive you in that decision making, drive you in that situation? Or are you settling for what you think is best, for what I think is best in that moment? The trigger of immediacy. Settle. Do what feels good in the moment. Do what I think is right. This is saying my appetites, my needs are more important than God's timing. My needs, my ideas, my appetites are more important than God's timing. As I said last night, when we take quick steps, we end up missing steps. When we run quick, we end up missing steps and we fall down. We need to walk carefully. And that's going to be the second point in a minute. So the first trigger, the trigger of immediacy, thinking that I can run ahead of God instead of waiting on him and trusting in him. And so the second one, again, verse 5 and 6. This one might not make as much sense to us until we understand what, what the devil is really offering Jesus is this in this moment. He says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. This is the trigger of carelessness. 
of not taking care. This is assuming on God. Assuming on God. Not trusting in God, but assuming on God. This is saying, what I do doesn't really matter because he's going to love me anyways. Now, none of us would really say that, but some of us live like that. We abuse God's grace because we assume he's going to forgive it all in the end anyways. So it really doesn't matter in that conversation or that click or that, that one drink or that one moment or that one conversation. We don't, it doesn't matter to us because we know God's going to work it out. God's going to forgive me anyways. I can just throw myself back and God's going to fix it later. The trigger of carelessness. To think that what I do doesn't matter because God's going to love me anyways. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. This is not trusting God's love. This is abusing God's love. This is abusing God's love. I liken this to the airbag in the really fancy car, right? A lot of us hear the stories about the fancy cars. We watch the fancy car. Wow, I would love to drive that car. I'd love to get on the Autobahn and drive it as fast as I could because I know that if things go south, it has all the safety features, right? The swerve control, the braking, all the braking stuff, and all the airbags all around the car. So I know that I, I'm good, right? I can just drive this car as fast as I want, as far as I want, because it's going to, if things go south, I'm going to get looked after. But we forget in that moment that we're the car that God is meant to look after. We think that it's about just thinking we have all the protections in place, and it doesn't matter. I can roll like this, I can think like this, I can talk like this, and it doesn't really matter because God's going to fix it all up in the end anyways. And we forget that God's saying, no, every word that comes from your mouth is meant to honor me. It's just one word, right? It's just one click. It's just one drink. It's just one conversation. It's just one kiss. It's just one moment. It doesn't matter. It all matters. It all matters. Uh, again, some of you won't even have watched this, maybe for various reasons, but years, I, I love The Simpsons. I love The Simpsons. And there was this, there was this episode where there was, what was happening is they, there was this really amazing um, ad, ad firm that was getting everyone to, 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 to buy this stuff. And they were using these big billboards. And these billboards started to take over. It was one of the Halloween specials. And the billboards were starting to take over. And they were crushing buildings and all this stuff. And they, they came up with this jingle. And it was just one look, just one look. And just don't look, just don't look. And the point was that if you look at the advertisement, you continue to give it validation. You continue to validate its, the need for it. Right? And so if we don't look at it, it will die. If we don't look at it, it'll die. And so progressively what was happening is was they stopped looking at all the billboards. They were smashing the building, smashing the building, like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And everyone started looking away, and all the billboards started crashing down to the ground because they weren't paying attention to it. We think it's just one look. It's just one glance. It's just one conversation. It's just one drink. It's just one moment. It's just one kiss. It doesn't matter. That can lead us down a terrible path. A terrible path. The trigger of carelessness. To not take care in every moment that what I say, what I do in this moment, in this situation, clicking that website, saying that word, all of it matters. All of it matters. The other reality of this is God is not telling us to flirt with sin. He's telling us to fight it. A lot of us try and live... How close to the edge can I get without sinning, without falling off the edge, right? 
I can walk by the liquor store. I won't go in the liquor store, but I'll walk by the liquor store, right? I'll be in that conversation with the person. I won't say nothing. I'll just be in the conversation. They're gossiping. They're, they're slandering folks. I'm not in that conversation. I'm just around the conversation, right? We can say that, I, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not, but how close to the edge am I getting? Jesus is not telling us to flirt with sin. He's telling us to fight it. And to flirt with sin is to be careless, is to be careless. The trigger of carelessness. Fall back. When all else fails, you know, do what you do and then just trust fall on God. He'll look after you. Trust fall on God. He'll look after you. God is like, that's not trusting my love. That's abusing my love. As I said last night, that's like God, that's like us saying that God delights in cleaning up our mess. I don't know that God delights in cleaning up our mess. He is patient and kind to do it. I don't know that he loves it. Carelessness is saying what I do doesn't matter because God will love me anyways. And so maybe this is a temptation for us to not take care, to not think about our words, not think about our internet usage, our use of our money, our use of our time. Where is that place of carelessness in my life that I'm not letting, again, the word of God describe and define and drive how I act and think and speak. The third trigger that Satan offers to Jesus is the trigger of power. The trigger of power. And so this relates again to the idea of the difference between a shallow temptation and a deep temptation. Okay? So a shallow temptation is anger. Okay? Anger is not necessarily the sin. Anger is revealing what is going on in our life, a sin that is underneath the hood. Anger is revealing that there's something else going on in our life, another idol, as, we, as we've heard from Pastor Edwin through his series, power, approval, comfort, and control. Anger is often revealing one of those sins that's going on under the hood, right? And so we need to recognize what's going on in these moments. The issue is not in patience. The issue is control. I want to control my time. I want to control my priorities. I want to control my situations. So I need to be aware of these temptations. And so Satan ups the ante. He keeps upping the ante. Okay, I'm not going to reach him with some of the shallow temptations. i got to go a little deeper. And the deeper issue is power. Okay, Jesus, who are you really? What are you about really? Look again. In verses 9, he says, in verse 8, Again, the devil took him up on, the, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is about realizing. We would never say this. We, we, and if we would say this, then we have some serious issues we've got to deal with. But we would, this is the way we live. I want people to worship me. I want people to worship me. Right? It's, as, as, as a, one of the ladies on the, on the Bible study last night on Facebook said, this is what we, we live for the flattery of others. I live for the flat. I want other people to like me. And so I'll do and say things that'll make them like me. Right? I'll, I'll keep, I want to keep them close, so I'll keep doing things that they like. Right? I'm not doing those things because I want to serve them. I'm doing those things because I want them to serve me. I want them to serve me. Right? You see the difference? There's a difference between doing something that is nice for that person and doing it so that they'll do something for you. That's holding them under you. Because when they don't provide, then trouble ensues, right? 
They don't keep their end of the bargain. This is about admitting, acknowledging that I've put myself at the center. The trigger of power says, it's about my ways, my plans, my priorities, my purposes, my desires, my agenda, my wins, right? How often do we willingly lose an argument? I just have to win the argument. You need to know that I am right and you are wrong. What's more important in that moment? That I win an argument or that I serve the person? Power will tell us that moment. The trigger is, no, but I gotta cut you down. I gotta, you gotta know who's right. You gotta know what the situation is. Jesus is saying there's a bigger agenda than just you being right in that moment. Think about it this way. There's a difference between hungering and thirsting for being right and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. There's a difference between hungering and thirsting to be right and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. A big difference. To hunger and thirst to be right is I am right, you are wrong. I am top, you are bottom. I am leader, you are servant, right? To hunger and thirst for righteousness is we are both going towards Jesus together. We are both going towards Jesus together. And so the trigger is if things don't go my way, trigger finger gets itchy, right? Things don't go the way I want. People don't fall in the way I want. Things don't go the way I expect. Things don't, you know, it's all about how I think things should go, how I think should be, things should be, what I think is right, where I think is important, right? I'm putting myself at the center. That's what Satan is offering us in that moment is to say, whose priorities matter? Whose priorities matter? Right? We would always say God's. But when the rubber hits the road, if we're honest, there's going to be moments where, like, it's kind of mine. What's more important is, God, that you fall into my priorities, that, that, if we're honest. The trigger finger is, God, you're not coming through. You're not coming through. It's my priorities. It's my agenda. It's my purposes. Right? I want the adoration and the flattery and the leadership. And, the, and I want everything to be my ways, my desires, my plans. And so just one question for us is thinking about this. If power, if the, te- the trigger is power, right? When's the last time you willingly didn't get your way? Willingly said, your way, not my way. Whether that's God's or someone else's. And those moments, it's not when, and it's when you disagree with someone. Not, not a moral issue, like a decision about a restaurant or a decision about directions or a decision about whatever, right? When's the last time you willingly said, your way is more important than my way. It's an issue of power in that moment. Satan is saying, no, no, no. You got to get yours. You got to get yours. Get yours. The temptation, the trigger of power. Lastly, look again. This is the most deep. So again, remember, Satan realizes that Jesus is not biting. He's not biting. His finger is not itchy. So he's got to keep going deeper and deeper. And the last one is probably the most profound for all of us is thinking about this way. Look at the way that Satan addresses Jesus. Verse 3. If you are the Son of God. Verse 6. If you are the Son of God. The trigger of identity, of identity. Who are you really? Who are you really? 
And this one is hard for us, right? Because people will attack our identity all over the place, right? And this is not to say, I want us to understand, this is not to say that those attacks are good or are right. Someone might crack on you because you're poor, because you're black, because you're a woman. It's not to say that those things are okay. That's not what I'm saying in this moment. But if that is the most important thing about you, you will constantly live frustrated because you're always going to get attacked. It's a fact. It's a fact. If your most important identity is that you're a mother or a pastor or a worship leader or whatever, whatever that most important identity that you think is about you, that is going to get attacked. It's a fact. Because you're, we, I am never going to measure up fully as being a perfect pastor, as being a perfect parent, as being a perfect husband. And so I'm going to get critiqued. I'm going to get attacked. The trigger of identity. And so we do two things. One, we prioritize, we elevate that thing, right? I am a mother. I am a pastor. I am whatever. Put in the blank. I am whatever you think is the most important thing about you. Or maybe it's the reverse. You are ashamed, right? You think, I am in recovery. I am formerly incarcerated. I am homeless. I am black. I am whatever. And that thing is constantly attacked or ridiculed. You think that's the most important central thing about you. And so you constantly face the critique and attack. Satan says, you're worthless. You are nobody because you are X. Satan wants to tear us down. He wants to tear us down by attacking what we think is the most important part of us. The most important part of us. But here's the fact. If you are a child of God, if you have come to trust in Jesus, saying, I can't fix or change myself, I need Jesus to come and do what I could never do to live a perfect life and then die for me, to raise from the dead so I can enjoy eternal life and a fellowship with God my Father in eternity, enjoying Him forever. If that's you, the most important thing about you is what God says about you. And what God says about you is forgiven, welcome, accepted, cherished, child of the living God. That's what God says about you. And that never changes. That never changes. That never changes. Again, I tell you, it's not that those critiques don't matter. I'm watching friends be attacked. Asian Americans are getting attacked all over the place right now. And it's serious and it's terrible and we need to stand up and stand out when we see it happening. But the most important thing about you is not your ethnicity. The most important thing about you is that you're a child made in the image of God. That is what's most important about you. And Satan is going to try and get you to settle for lesser identities and you will get bent out of shape constantly when people come and attack that part about you. That part about you. The most important part of you is what God says about you. What God says about you. And so I say, uh, Thomas Watson, who writes The Doctrine of Repentance, says it this way. When Satan comes to attack, and this will be our instruction for us as we close, is to think about this way, okay? When Satan comes to attack our identity, it's this understanding, Right? He's what, this is what he says. When Satan comes to accuse us, says you're a nobody, you're formerly incarcerated, you are, you're an addict, you are homeless, you are worthless, you are a woman, no one will care about you or listen to you. Here's what we can say to Satan. It's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. 
but I'm loved more than you know. It's worse than you think because here's what Satan knows. All Satan can do is evaluate what he sees because he doesn't know our heart. The only one who knows our heart is God because he made it. So when Satan comes accusing that you're a nobody, you'll never measure up, or your identity's found in this, we can say to Satan, it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. But I'm more loved than you know. Because God sees it all and still loves me because of Jesus. Hand off the trigger. Where is that trigger in my life? Is it identity? Is it impatience? Is it carelessness? Is it power? Or maybe I haven't touched any of them. Maybe these are a couple of them, just to close, if you think about these things. Maybe it's hunger, right? Hunger or being tired, right? You got to know that in those moments, right, I can't get into a deep, difficult conversation with someone when I'm hungry. In our home, we talk about this idea of being hangry. Well, you're hangry right now. I can tell right now. Right now, you've not eaten. And so everything I'm telling you right now is going on deaf ears because you're not willing to listen because you need food in your belly. That's just a fact. So I'm not going to have a difficult conversation with you. I'm not going to correct you. We're not going to go into this right now until there's food in your belly. What's the trigger? If the trigger is hunger or being tired, are you looking after yourself, right? Is the trigger anger? Have you not dealt with the situation? Remember, Paul tells us, in your anger, do not sin. The issue is not sin. The, is the issue is not anger. The issue is what you do with that anger. What you do with that anger. Something doesn't go your way at work. You get into a difficult conversation with a neighbor. You, something doesn't go your way. You're angry. You're upset. But what do you do with that anger? That's the trigger. What do you do with it? Maybe it's failure. Maybe the trigger is failure. You fall off the wagon again, right? You succumb. And you think, I, I did it again. I can't. And what instead of taking that to Jesus... You start going down the path. You start going down the path. Failure. Maybe that's the trigger. One step, one misstep leads you down 50 bad steps. Right? Maybe it's success. I'm doing okay. I got the job. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm in my house. I'm, things are on the up and up. I can coast into eternity. John Newton, who writes these letters to his congregation, says, Satan will never be closer to us than when we feel closest to God. Because Satan doesn't want us happy in Jesus. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's idle time. Maybe it's idle time. We have to learn to put down the triggers. What are those triggers? And then lastly, the word of God. What word speaks into those situations? What word? Do I have a word? Remember, because it's putting down the trigger, right? Those are the triggers. But what is the word that's going to cut down those arguments? Do I have a word? Do I have a word in those moments? A word that's going to say no to Satan's arguments. Because look at the way Jesus responds. Again, we have to look at this to see how he's responding. Look again. Every time. I love I have a, a, red, a red letter Bible so I can focus on the words of Jesus. Because again, it says in verse, verse 4. What does, how does Jesus respond? It is written. Verse 7. It is written. Verse 10. It is written. When Satan comes to attack, do I have a word to cut down his arguments? He is stronger than you, but he is not stronger than God. 
He is stronger than me, but he is not stronger than God. Do I have the sword to put down the trigger to say I'm going to come out guns a-blazing and I'm going to put down the gun and I'm going to pick up the sword. I'm going to cut down the arguments of saying, do I have the words when the temptation to get even? Do I have a word? When the temptation to give in to sexual temptation, do I have a word? When the temptation to choose the easy way out, do I have a word? When the temptation to give up, do I have a word? When the temptation when I succeed, do I have a word? When the temptation when failure comes, do I have a word? When my identity is attacked, do I have a word? Do I have a word? We need to cut down these temptations with the truths of God. But we close with this. If I left you there, I would fail you as a pastor. And here's why. God doesn't want us to go out and just try harder. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not go out and try harder. Go out and try harder. The unique hope of the Christian mission is this. Jesus came because we couldn't do that. Again, look, I want us to close by looking. Verse 1. Why is this text important for us to understand the temptations? Verse 1. Look at what led Jesus into this situation. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Jesus accepted this space. Why? Because he knew that we would fail. And so he had to go all the way in the temptation and succeed because he knew that we would constantly fire the bullets. He knew that when push came to shove, we were going to pick up the gun and start shooting. And so he knew I have to take temptation all the way to the end and succeed because I can't. I have to choose this path. Jesus willingly accepted the assignment, fasted, for 40 days, and then tempted for me. Because he knew that I would fail. He knew that I would fail. To think about it this way. He took the bullets. I get the blessings. He took the bullets. I get the blessings. So our hope, our salvation, our redemption is that Jesus took the bullets but never picked up a gun, was cut down but never tore down, was reviled and rejected but never cracked back. His, he was accused of being Satan in the flesh but didn't accuse and condemn in that moment because he knew he had a bigger purpose and it was our redemption and to please God the Father with his agenda of redeeming and saving the world. I am saved, not by how well I do in temptation, but by trusting that Jesus was perfect in temptation for me. So I can put down the trigger when I realize what Jesus put down for me. He gave up his life. He gave up his life. He literally was accused of being Satan, but didn't crack back. He was cut down because of where he was from, because of what he said, but he didn't crack back. Instead, he gave up his life to redeem us and change us. And so we can please the Father by trusting in what Jesus did for us. And our appreciation is, God, I want to honor you. I want to live for you. I want to love you in these moments.
So I want to close by praying for us to help us in this. We'll have instructions and insights and wisdom and help to guide us in this. Uh, verses on our website. How do I battle these temptations? We'll put some instructions and encouragements, verses up on our website and Facebook. How, how, do I, how do I stand strong when these arrows, when these temptations are put in front of me? We'll put some verses up on our website to help us in these things. To be reminded, we're not alone in this. Jesus is for us and we are with each other in this battle. Let us put down the trigger and pick up the sword of the Spirit to fight with Jesus, for Jesus, in the strength that he provides. So Jesus, help us. Teach us. Lead us. Guide us. We will be tempted when the service concludes. Our, tr our trigger fingers will be itchy even in moments after this. Help us to consider, what do you want me to do in that moment, Jesus? Not just what should I do, but what would you want me to do? Help us when we fail, when we fall short. Teach us to be better, to not be careless. Help us to know that you want good for us. We entrust ourselves to you. We ask that you lead us and guide us into greater godliness for our good and for the good of others and for your fame and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.